This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while. I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the parliament to meet. Isolation, testing. Being bored is much better than being in intensive care. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive and also Afternoon Briefing on ABC News. And I'm Fran Kelly from RN Breakfast. And Fran, the biggest budget of our lifetime has landed finally, certainly the biggest budget since World War II. We are in unprecedented times with a recession which is deep and is really hurting our country. And the government says it's all about jobs, jobs, jobs. Our measures together with the dynamism in the Australian economy, is helping to create around one million new jobs over the next few years. We should never lose sight, Fran, of the, the size, the scale of the shock that we face. It's the biggest in a hundred years and no country's been immune, let alone Australia. No country has been immune. So what are the key numbers? Well, net debt is going to reach nearly a trillion dollars. Yes, you heard that correctly. A trillion in uh, three years. That's unbelievable, really. Um, Look, some of the key measures. We know tax cuts have been brought forward for 11 million Australians. That's like the stage two of the tax cuts. They're being backdated to July 1 this year so that people can get money immediately. The government hopes, there's a lot of hope in this budget, that people start spending it and, you know, activating the economy. The other big ticket item, of course, is the job maker hiring credit, uh, which is a sliding scale, but is essentially $4 billion. And it's all targeted to people who are unemployed under 35 to try and get those unemployed young people, if you call 35 young, um, employed. There's a whole debate around that. Uh, that's kind of some of the key measures. There are others too, of course, Fran. Um, you know, there's the 100% instant asset write-off, which is going to essentially help up to 99% of businesses. That's huge in and of itself. So this is a budget that really relies on business going out there and making the jobs, consumers going out there and spending the money. And the government has gone out and and really tried to drive home this jobs message that it wants to make a million jobs But, Fran, do you think it's done enough of the heavy lifting here? Well, the heavy lifting all depends. It all depends if it's not really the government that's going to be doing the heavy lifting. This budget requires business in particular to do it. In fact, you said it yourself, hope is the basis of this budget. The government is basically hoping like hell that consumers and business will spend all this money that they're handing out. You listed a few sort of numbers that are so big it's hard to get your head around, but here's another one. The deficit this year, PK, will be $213 billion. So forget all that talk of debt and deficit disasters. That's all gone out the window. No-one's talking about that anymore. And by and large, everyone agrees that now is the time to spend to try and support the economy. But what the government's handing out here is a lot of money to business and the consumers. The government calls this their pandemic economic recovery plan. And the key to that, as you said, is stimulating jobs. A lot of money thrown at business. That job subsidy plan you talked about is um, $200 a week if you're under the age of 30 um, for a business to hire you if you've been unemployed. And um, Treasury says that will create, get this, 450,000 jobs. Now, economists are sort of rolling their eyes at that prediction. They think that might be a little overly optimistic. Um, But that's 
you know, $4 billion that could stimulate an awful lot of jobs if it works. The other big ticket item that you mentioned there, that instant, uh, instant asset write-off, it's called, for businesses who go out and might buy a new truck or a, a new harvester or a coffee machine, invest in something for their business, a photocopier, whatever it is, that's going to cost a whopping $26 billion. But... The question mark is, is business in the mood to spend on new equipment right now, PK? Mm. Do businesses have the cash flow after what they've just been through to throw money around right now? And will businesses um, be in the mood to hire somebody, even if the government does give them a $200 a week subsidy or a $100 a week subsidy if they're over 30? Will it take the risk to employ somebody right now before it sees whether A, this virus is under control and that's going to depend a lot on the vaccine and, B, whether the 11 million Australians who are going to get a tax cut, which is going to start appearing in wage checks for a few weeks' time, whether they're going to start spending that again, spending those tax cuts. These are big ifs. But, PK, by and large, business and most economists have welcomed this spending. Labor will almost certainly support these measures, which will hit the parliament as soon as today. But as the shadow treasurer, Jim Chalmers, said to me this morning, Labor's problem isn't what's in this budget, it's what's not in this budget. Leah, let's talk about what's not in this budget. So Labor has made this point, and I think it's a really potent line, actually, for them, uh, that they've essentially attacked the age limit on the big-ticket program uh, the, the under 35s um, incentive, you know, to, to hire those young people program, saying it excludes 928,000 people who are aged over 35 and on unemployment benefits. The reason I think that's such a, a strong line is, well, it's true. <laughs> right? And that's a big number. It's a big number of voters. Mm. Let's think of this also in a political sense. The government thought about it that way, let me tell you. They know there's an election looming next year. This is a political budget as well as being a budget for our times and, and the fact that we are in a recession. Now, those people, I imagine I would be grumpy if I was them. Uh, I would be pretty upset if I happened to be 36 and, you know, there was an incentive to employ someone just a year younger than me. I'm, obviously, that's just one cohort. But you know what I'm trying to say. Mm. There is an incentive to go for the younger workers. Now, we know why. Josh Frydenberg's explained it. Look at the history. Look at the 90s recession. If you get unemployed for a long period of time and you're young, the sort of structural issues that creates for the economy and for the individual are huge. Young people end up missing out. Uh, yeah, so they get stuck on the jobless queues for years. We do know that is that is the, uh, an undeniable truth of a recession. But Labor's point is, yeah, okay, you want to target young people, but equally you don't want to hurt uh, the older worker cohort if you want to call them older. I mean, I don't think 36-year-olds are really particularly old. So I think that is a flaw and I think it's going to become a, a, a looming potential political problem too for the government. The other flaw I see in terms of, you know, this point of what does it miss in this budget, what, what, what's missing, is and uh, this gendered point has been made, but I think it needs to be made again. This is for women who have been disproportionately affected by this recession. This recession, the 90s recession actually affected men quite a lot. Um, obviously, you know, manufacturing decline, all of that sort of stuff. But this actually has been a very feminised recession and yet it's not a very feminised budget in my view. And... It's some of the, the big ticket items it could have looked at, you know, more reform for childcare, more money to to incentivise women to get back into work. Mm. Now, I know in our ideal world there'd be sh equal sharing of children and the childcare, but that's not the way it works. Often women do that work. So if they can't go back to work because childcare is too expensive, then 
well, they, they won't and we know they won't. So some of those, I think, are lost opportunities in my view. There are other measures too where the government has created a, a win, but I'm not sure if it's big enough. That's, um, you know, just something specific that they've introduced as well. This is this kind of one-off payments for pensioners. They're going to receive $250 payment from December and another $250 from March. Now, yeah, that's great money in their pockets. I think no one's going to be saying no to that, but it's it's not huge. It's not structural. It's just a quick sugar hit. Will they go out and spend it? Well, I hope so, and they're likely to because we know lower-income earners and aged pensioners will but there's nothing enormous in any of that too. Yeah, that's true. I think what you're touching on there and when you talk about the feminisation uh, or the lack of it, the feminisation of this recession is people were expecting there might be a spend on what's generally called the caring economy. I'm not particularly a fan of that term, but it takes in things like aged care or um, childcare or healthcare where women are uh, dominant in the workplaces. There's not much here at all for that. There's uh, money for 23,000 extra places of home care packages for aged care. The aged care sector wanted a lot more than that and more will come for aged care. The government says it's going to wait for the Royal Commission to hand down its recommendations but even that element was not enough um, in terms of what people were hoping for and, and expecting. But you're absolutely right that a lot of these this money for subsidies and apprenticeships in particular there's a billion dollars for uh, subsidies for higher apprentices a lot of that goes, goes to male dominated industries so there's a, not a lot in this budget for women and in terms of that over 35 cohort you talked about, PK, I put this to the Treasurer, you know, what's in it for the over 35s? And he said, well, there's money for, you know, training and free courses, but that's not exactly going to put money in someone's pocket. And there is a cliff looming here in March when JobKeeper is wound up and the government's sticking to that. You know, the, the, the government concedes that some or probably many of the people who lose JobKeeper at that point will find themselves on the unemployment queue because a lot of the places that we're keeping them on with JobKeeper are what we call zombie businesses. They're actually businesses that aren't profitable now, won't be profitable without JobKeeper because of the dire straits of the economy. So a lot of those people are going to end up on the jobless queue, people who've never in their lives thought that at this stage of life they would be without a job. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a looming issue, I think, politically, in political terms as well as human terms. And, and just one other factor, PK, there is, um, there's not many cuts in this budget because the government's all about spending, not cutting. But there is one that I think is worth talking about, and that's a cut to our refugee intake. In fact, buried in this budget is a saving of almost a billion dollars over four years because the government is reduced the refugee and will reduce the humanitarian intake, refugee intake, um, to around 13,000 people a year. It had been going up progressively in recent years. It was up close to 19,000 places in 2018, 2019. But the government's going to chop that and that's a saving of a billion dollars. I don't know that that's a saving that a lot of Australians would be supporting. And, um, you know, I think at this point when our population is going to go backwards because we can't take all the... Uh, we're not going to get the foreign students and the foreign workers, our borders are closed, whether we should be looking at cutting our refugee intake on humanitarian grounds and on economic grounds. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make. Look, the other issue, I think, with this budget, if you want to zoom right out outside of the measures, is it does make a lot of assumptions that 
you know, I wish they were all would all work out this way, Fran, but I'm not convinced they will. One is, of course, that we have an effective COVID-19 vaccine next year. Well, I hope we do, but I'm not sure we will. It also assumes there are no major outbreaks that trigger major lockdowns like the one we've seen in Victoria. Okay, I hope so too. I've lived through it. I'm living through it. Mm. I don't want that on anyone, but I also know how easily they happen. Or, you know, if some contact tracing goes wrong, as it did in Victoria, which I think was one of the main problems of getting on top of this, then you're back there. And uh, given the sort of strategy we've taken where we've decided we don't want this virus to, to be in the community in this country, I mean, we have taken that stand. Look at New South Wales now. Uh, we are going to face that again, so potentially. So I think that's a pretty heroic uh, assumption. And then that the borders are back open, right? Um, including, and I think it's extraordinary, towards the end of 2021, the international border. Now, again, yeah, that's I can't a big call, wait to go to where my parents are from, Greece, as soon as I possibly can. But I reckon that's a huge call. I don't expect that I'll be there by the end of next year because, again, back on the virus, back on all of that, I don't know if it's realistic. So, And also that this recession's going to end in a year, Fran. Again, um, I also want the recession to end in a year. Am I convinced it will? Well, in Victoria, I reckon our downturn is going to be a lot more significant uh, if you look at just how hard business has been hit. So, again, I think great, great ideas, uh, but can you rely or, you know, make a budget on all of those assumptions? Not so much, right? Well, the important assumption is unemployment and the government's pretty upbeat. In, well, it's all relative, of course, when you, what's upbeat about a prediction of 8% unemployment, nothing, but that is the prediction for December this year, but that's better than the 10% that uh, the Reserve Bank had already forecast. So the government is predicting that over the next three years, unemployment will come down to 6%, 6.5% and then 6%. If it gets that right, that would be a great result because history tells us that, you know, as you mentioned before, unemployment is the, is the lag indicator. It's the leftover, if you like, of any recession. So that's what all this is aimed at. But on, on that front, the Greens are very critical of what the government's done in this budget because they think this jobs plan of basically giving money to business to employ is not the way to do it. Adam Bank calls this budget all brown and trickle down and he says the government has squibbed the chance to do what governments like New Zealand government and the, the government of Britain, UK are doing, invest in big you know, renewable energy schemes that the government invests in, in social housing, building social housing. There's none of that in this budget. Um, so there's a few things, levers the government hasn't pulled that people were hoping they would. You know, we'll, we'll see whether the government's, the government's bet pays off, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. So we're recording this. This is just a quick hit for you because it's a significant generational budget, I think, but we are going to be recording our longer episode um, on Thursday morning. This is Wednesday morning that we're recording this. So, you know, there'll be more for you. And then um, we'll be foreshadowing also the opposition leader's speech or at least giving you, you know, some ideas. Uh, it will be delivered on Thursday night, though. But that's going to be a significant moment for Anthony Albanese and for the Labor Party. And I think this government, this budget actually gives them quite a bit of space to offer something else, right? Mm. All of those missing areas they've been talking about, they will, my prediction is they'll be zeroing in on all of that. You know, they'll be, be wanting to be a lot more generalist than just the young workers, for instance, so that a broader range of Australians feel like they, they're going to get the benefits. And if they are willing to spend more, and they uh, no doubt will probably um, be making commitments that will cost more, 
I wonder, Fran, now that we're in so much debt, whether it will make much of a difference in terms of the public's mind, you know, whether it's a trillion or more than a trillion, right? That's right. Do you reckon, like, it changes That's the right. debate around debt because it's purse, so big anyway? The purse is open. The, the wallet is open. I think Labor can just dig in, dip in like Josh Frydenberg has and pull out basically what they want and suggest how they're going to do it. I think, I mean, the fact that we are not all talking today about a deficit of $213 billion and a debt of a trillion is really quite extraordinary when you think of how bogged down we've been in the whole debt and deficit debate over the last, what, 15 years? It's, um, we're in a new world. Yeah, we are in a very, very, very new world. Anyway, Fran, it's two days in a row for us. That's a bonus for me and hopefully for our listeners too. That's a bonus for me. I'm loving that. See you, PK. See you, Fran. As a businessman and presidential candidate, Donald Trump was extremely harsh on Saudi Arabia. Who blew up the World Trade Center? It wasn't the Iraqis, it was Saudi. But after Trump's son-in-law became best buds with the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that changed. Just in time for it all to go horribly wrong. You don't bring a bone saw to an accidental fist fight. I'm Matt Bevan, and that story is in this week's episode of America If You're Listening on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.